Thank you for listening to Desert Spring United Methodist Sunday Sermon. We're glad you found us and that you chose to be part of our church. Online listeners, you are a significant part of our church community, and we're grateful you're with us. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. If you would like to engage with our staff, we can be found on Facebook, Vimeo, and Instagram. Or call us at 702-256-5933. So just a, uh, a brief history lesson. About a thousand years before the birth of Jesus, King David ruled over the United Kingdom of Israel. And it was a high time in the history of Israel. The nation was very prosperous and it was strong. And it was during King David's rule that Jerusalem became kind of the heart of the kingdom. After David passed away, his son Solomon took the throne. And it was King Solomon who built the first temple in Jerusalem. That temple became the place where God dwelled among the people. And so on high holy days and special times, people would stream into Jerusalem, not just to be in the heart of the kingdom, but to draw near to Almighty God. That temple stood for hundreds of years. But in the sixth century before Christ, the Babylonians invaded the southern kingdom of Israel, Judah, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. And they took those Jews who did not scatter and escape, they took them into captivity back to Babylon where they forced them to work as slaves. A short time later in the scope of human history, a short time later, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. And the Persians were more favorable to the Jews. And so the Jews were allowed to return back home. And they began to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. It was sometime after that when the Romans finally conquered the area that the temple in Jerusalem was rebuilt. The Romans did some good things for the Jews. It was King Herod overseeing that area of the Roman Empire who rebuilt the temple. The temple was completed about 20 years before the birth of Jesus. Now, throughout all that time from the Babylonian invasion to the completion of the temple, there was this messianic expectation that was growing up among the people. People were expecting the Messiah to come. And in expecting the Messiah to come, they were expecting the Messiah to be like King David, who would restore the nation of Israel and raise it up to prominence again. That sense of expectation was strongest certain high holy days, especially over the Passover. The Passover, that time when the Jews would celebrate how God had led the Hebrew people out of captivity in Egypt into freedom. This belief that God who did it once was going to do it again and would free them from Roman captivity into freedom. 
this sense of a messianic expectation grew stronger and stronger and stronger. Meanwhile, Jews would flock to the temple for the celebration of the Passover. I mean, they would just be streaming into Jerusalem like folks streaming into Las Vegas for New Year's Eve, like that. People would be just streaming into Jerusalem, filling up the city. And there was celebrations and there was festivities and there were parties everywhere. And again, this great expectation that the Messiah might come. But it wasn't only the Jews who were streaming into the city because the Romans knew that the Jews had this expectation that a Messiah would come. And so soldiers would stream into the city prepared to squelch any uprising that might occur during the holiday. In today's scripture, Jesus is making his entrance into Jerusalem right before the Passover. So people are streaming into the city. It's a Sunday when Jesus is entering into the city. And he's not the only one making his entrance. In another part of the city, Pilate is leading the armies in to be prepared. And yet another part of the city, Herod is making his entrance with his entourage to celebrate the Passover. Meanwhile, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was making his way down the Mount of Olives, then through the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount, beyond the temple, the old city of Jerusalem. As he was making his way down the Mount of Olives, crowds of people started showing up. And he started waving palm fronds and shouting, Hosanna! The Gospel of John tells us that a whole lot of people showed up for this parade. They showed up because they had heard what Jesus had done in Bethany, just a short distance behind Jesus on the other side of the Mount of Olives. There, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And so people, having heard this story, gathered around starting to shout, Hosanna, which literally means, save us now. They shout, save us now, to the one who was proclaiming a new kingdom was at hand and who had the power and the authority to raise somebody from the dead. They waved their palm fronds to announce that he was now their king. And when they shouted Hosanna, they wanted him to save them from Roman occupation. Partway down the Mount of Olives, Jesus paused. The temple below him in front. The scriptures say he stopped and he wept. And while the scriptures don't say this, I can't help but wondering if part can't help but wonder if part of the weeping had to do with how he knew the people shouting Hosanna did not understand at all. But what the scriptures do tell us is that he wept over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, if only you knew the things that make for peace as he announced its destruction. He then continued down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley to the Temple Mount, and the first place that he went was into the temple. And the first thing they did there in the temple court was to start tossing over tables and chasing people out, the money changers. 
as he shouted, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And I can imagine that the people who had been shouting Hosanna got all the more excited. It's about to happen because he's purifying the temple so that the temple can stand as a beacon of hope to all of the nations. I can imagine they were all the more excited as they saw him begin to purify the temple. But then things changed. He went on to teach. And one of the things that he said was that the day would come when the temple would be destroyed. Not a single stone left one upon another. And that's not what the people thought was going to happen. The temple wasn't supposed to be destroyed. Israel was supposed to rise. A side note. Forty years later, there was an uprising among the Jews to try to free themselves from Roman captivity. The Romans responded by sending armies. On April 14th, what's today? April 14th, so it's the birthday of this. On April 14th of the year 70, soldiers laid siege on the city of Jerusalem. They then entered the city and they tore the temple down, one stone at a time. They tore it down so that the only thing that was left is what we now call the Wailing Wall, just as Jesus had predicted. But back to Jesus. He taught and he said things. And they weren't what people thought. And so Sunday gave way to Monday, to Tuesday, to Wednesday, to Thursday, to Friday. And pretty soon those shouts of Hosanna turned into cries of crucifixion. They called out to have him crucified. And we know why. He was not the leader they wanted. But given how they acted, he was exactly the leader they most needed. Let's pause and listen to Scripture. Today's scripture comes from the book of John, 12th chapter, verses 12 through 19, in Revelation 3.20. From the book of John. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been, and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. From Revelation. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. <clears throat> This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, Voltaire. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On Sunday, there were shouts of Hosanna. Save us now. On Friday, there were shouts of crucifixion. Crucify him now. And we know what happened. The people wanted a leader who would fulfill their desires. But Jesus came to purify their desires. The people wanted a leader who would mess with other people, the Romans. But Jesus came to mess with their lives. The people wanted a leader who would establish Israel as a mighty nation. But Jesus came to bring redemption to the whole world. The people wanted a leader who would destroy their enemy out there. But Jesus came to destroy a much more insidious enemy, one in here. Hosanna, we shout. Hosanna. What does that mean? This past week, I've, I've been kind of reflective, I guess. Just kind of reflecting on that word a little bit. Hosanna. Save us now. I mean, what does that mean to me? I'm already saved. I already believe in Jesus. I've already opened my, the door to my life to him. Welcome him in. So I'm already saved. What does it mean to shout, Hosanna? Save us now. I remember how Jesus, when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the very first thing that he did was toss over some tables, chase out the money changers, and shouted, my house will be made a house of prayer. And I can't help but wonder if that's what he wants to do in my life. Toss over some tables. Chase out those things that keep me from being holy. Turn me into a house of prayer. Hosanna. Save us now. This wonderful scripture that comes from the book of Revelation, the third chapter, where Jesus says, I am knocking on the door. And if you open the door, I will enter in and I will dine with you. I'm knocking at the door, he says, as he's knocking and he's knocking and he's knocking we call this prevenient grace, how he just keeps knocking at the door. Is anybody there trying to get our attention, trying to help us to begin to recognize that there's something that's missing in our life, that we need more, that there's got to be some answer for what's going on in our lives, leading us to that place where we finally hear the knocking and we open the door and then 
Jesus says, when you open the door, I come in. He just walks right on in. Now, we call that justification. That's the theological word for him just walking into our life, that forgiveness that we have in him. We also call that salvation, that moment we first believe. But that's not all he said that he does. He said, I'm knocking on the door, and if you open it, I will enter in. And then what does he do? He comes inside, and then he dines with us. And this idea of him dining with us, it's supposed to help us to realize that by inviting him in, he wants to be family with us, to break bread with us, to share a cup with us, to be around the table with us, for him to be our family, for us to be his family, and for him to be welcome in our home, in our home. He knocks on the door, waiting for us to open it. And then there's this sense of intimacy of his involvement in our lives. I've been thinking about that. You know, in my house, literally, in my house, literally, there are 21 doors. Plus the garage door. So that makes 22 doors in my house. The entrance doors... The bedroom doors, the bathroom doors, the closet doors, the pantry doors, 22 doors in my house. Now, a long time ago, he knocked on the front door. And I opened the door and he came into my life. But dining with me? Makes me think maybe there's some house cleaning that needs to be done before he sits around the table. Makes me wonder, are there other doors that he's going to knock on once he's inside my house? There's 21 other doors. Is he going to knock on some of those doors asking to come in? I mean, some of the doors are pretty big doors. And they're pretty obvious. Two of the doors are all over the scriptures. They're all over the story of his last week of his life. One of those doors is religious beliefs. What we believe about God, what we believe about each other, what we believe the Bible has to say. It's all over the scriptures. He was trying to talk to the religious leaders about their religious beliefs, about what they believed about God, about other people, about the Bible hoping that they would open that door to let him in. And he was going to turn over some tables. He was going to chase some things out in order to purify that room in their life. And it makes me wonder, do I want to open that door to let him into my beliefs, what I know about God, about other people, what I believe the Bible has to say, what tables might he overturn? What changes might he bring? And that's not the only door 
And there's another obvious door throughout the whole story of his last week. And that's the door. I almost hate to say this door. You'll understand why when I say it, because that's the door of politics. I mean, politics are all over the story of his last week. People are waving palm fronds, announcing that he is their king. They expect him to overthrow Rome, to set up a throne on which he would sit. And Jesus, of course, Jesus is hoping they'll open that door because he's got some tables to overturn, some things to chase away, some purification. But it makes me wonder, would I dare to open that door into my life to Jesus? I mean, what of my tables might he overturn? What of my ideas might he want to chase away? And that's just two of the doors. I've got 21 of them. 21 of them. There's the doors to our addictions. And by that, I mean those things in our life that occupy more space than they deserve, those things in our life that take up more of our life than they ought to take up. Do we open that door to him and see what he makes of it? And there's the doors of my opinions, and I got a lot of opinions. I don't know about you, but I got a lot of opinions. Do I want to open that door to him to see what he chases away? What comes of the purification and then there's those doors to the pantry. There's those doors to the bedroom. There's those doors of, of personal care. Do I love myself the way Jesus loves me? Do I care for myself in the way that he would care for me? There's a lot of doors. A lot of doors. And opening those doors, it all has to do with making us a holy temple. Jesus didn't come to restore a temple that was somewhere else where God would be kept. But it, Paul tells us he came to prepare our hearts as a temple where God can dwell. And open the doors is all about making us that holy, that holy temple. It's Holy Week. On Thursday, well, today we gather together to remember the Hosannas. And on Thursday, we gather together to remember his Last Supper. And on Friday, we gather together to remember his crucifixion. And as I think about this week and how it unfolds, I begin to wonder to myself, is there yet another door in my life ready to be opened? I mean, we know the difference it makes, opening the doors of our lives. We know the difference it makes. We've been with Christians who have opened a lot of the doors of their life. And just by being with them, we somehow feel closer to God, like they are a house of prayer. And we've been with Christians, maybe for some of them, who continue to carry with us heavy burdens and heavy loads. 
that we've yet to let Jesus into. And what a difference it makes. So I wonder, is there a door yet for me to be opened? For you, for that matter. Maybe for you, opening the door might be just opening the entrance door for that very first time to allow him into your life. Or maybe for you, it's one of those 21 other doors. Some area of your life yet to turn over to Jesus. This I know. He just keeps knocking. He knocks and he knocks and he knocks. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Desert Spring United Methodist Church. New sermons are posted weekly. Follow us to get updates and news from your church.